Number one thing that people make the mistake of is they don't have an S corporation for their small business. When you're first forming an entity and you're setting it up, you don't really know what you're doing. You want to have good, wise counsel in your corner, you know, whether that's your CPA, a lawyer, you know, somebody that's done it before, right? But if you if you are self-employed, you have a small business, whether it's an S corporation or a partnership, the pass-through entity tax payment is definitely going to save you money. You have to be doing these, right? Like not doing these strategies, you're leaving just so much money on the table. Welcome back everyone to the Learn Like a CPA podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Bakey, and today we're gonna to be talking about uh, the five commonly missed tax strategies in 2023. So this is really just a compilation of like all the people that I've talked to, whether at conferences or networking events or even even clients of my own, you know, people that I've talked to. And these are really just the five, like you have to be doing these, right? Like the not doing this not doing these five strategies you're leaving just so much money on the table um and so some of these strategies like they they might work for you they may not depending on your situation right you know if you're just a, if you're a w2 or if you're self-employed or if you have real estate but i i try to come up with a good five that will really encompass like a lot of the people that I'm working with. And so, uh, this, this podcast is going to be the five commonly missed tax strategies in 2023. So the first one I'll start off by saying, number one is going to be S corporations for small business owners. Okay. So when you're setting up entities and you're trying to figure out like how you should be taxed, what's the most tax efficient way. It's almost like, it's almost like playing a board game. You know, you, when you play a board game for the first time, you don't really know what you're doing and you're kind of relying on other people in order to help you play the game. They're going to teach you the rules, teach you what to do, the tips and tricks. And then, so then the next time you go play the game, it's not as hard. Well, when you're first forming an entity and you're setting it up, like you want to have good, wise counsel in your corner, you know, whether that's your CPA, a lawyer, you know, somebody that's done it before, right? Because then the board game doesn't seem as, as tough. And I would say this number one thing that people make the mistake of is they don't have an S corporation for their small business. So I want to be very clear. So, cause I've talked about S corporations before you can go back to some of the earlier days of the podcast in early 2022, where I talked about S corporations. But if you're a small business owner netting more than $70,000 a year in your business, I'm talking realtors, I'm talking brokers, I'm talking property managers, fix and flippers, co-hosting, uh, not arbitrage, by the way, not arbitrage. Arbitrage is passive income. So you don't need a, you don't need an S corporation for arbitrage. But if you're a lawyer, an accountant, a, a self-employed 1099 travel nurse, a doctor, like if you plan on making more than $70,000 a year in a normal service business, okay, not rental properties, not if you own rentals, if you own rentals, we don't want to hold rental real estate and S corporations. But if you have a normal service-based business, an S corporation, if you're making if you're making more than seventy thousand dollars a year, you know, an an S corporation is easily going to save you sixty five hundred to seven thousand dollars a year on what's known as self employment tax. So I just want to plant the seed on this podcast today. Uh, I'm not going to go totally into S corps today, but because I've had other podcasts that do that. But if you're starting a small business and this year you think that you're uh, going to net more than seventy thousand dollars, an S corporation is something you're going to want to take a look at. Uh, now here's a little trick. Well, let's say you're starting a business and you don't know whether or not you're going to hit $70,000 a year or not. Well, 
you have to have an LLC set up in order to make the S corp election. So let me give you an example. If you, let's say it's January, you set up your business, no LLC. And then in August or September, you realize that, Hey, I'm going to be making 70 grand a year. I need to be an S corporation. Well, if you don't have the LLC set up from when you started generating revenue, you're not able to include that revenue in your S corporation. So that's why I always tell people like, if you think there's a chance, set up your single member LLC, don't do anything yet. Once you believe you're going to cross that $70,000 threshold, that's when you elect S corp status and you start taking yourself a payroll. Okay. So that's number one, S corps for small businesses. Number two is, this is something I have not talked about before. Um, something that I have not talked about before, but it's what's called pass through entity tax payments. Okay. PTET for short. And not all States have this, but most States do. Okay. And, and the reason behind this is because in 2017, uh, the tax cuts and jobs act, they put a cap on the amount of taxes that you're able to deduct on the state level. So between your property taxes, your sales tax, your state income tax, you're only able to deduct up to $10,000 a year on your federal return. So people that are in New York, California, Illinois, like these high tax states, whether it's income tax or property tax, they get absolutely screwed because I'll see somebody that's got 30, 40 grand between their property taxes and their state income tax, but they're only able to deduct $10,000 on a federal level. If you own a pass-through entity, so you either have an S corporation like we just talked about, or you have a partnership, you're able to make a payment out of that business bank account for your state taxes that is deductible on the federal level, okay? It's called a pass-through entity tax payment. It allows you to deduct your state taxes, your state tax payments on a federal level, whereas you normally wouldn't be able to do that. So this, this, and this is an election that you make on your business tax return, but that, let's say I spent $20,000 in Illinois income tax last year. Remember I'm, I'm capped at 10 K. Well, if I make this election on my tax return, now I'm deducting that $20,000 that I spent on my, on my federal tax return, on my business return. So the pass-through entity tax, again, this is going to be if you have a pass-through entity business. So if you have an S corporation or you have a partnership, uh, this is going to be for you. Now, if you're, if you're a W2, if you're just working W2, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to do this. Um, because you don't have a pass-through entity, you don't have a business, but if you, if you are self-employed, you have a small business, whether it's an S corporation or a partnership, the pass-through entity tax payment is definitely going to save you money. That, that kind of leads to my next my next one, which is self-employed retirement accounts, okay? And this is going to be one of those things where I just, like I said, I just kind of want to graze the surface of this just because I saw so many people miss this last year. But self-employed retirement accounts, um, a lot of people think, well, the reason why I like self-employed retirement accounts is because, hey guys, just wanted to interrupt the podcast today to let you know about my Facebook group, Tax Strategies for Real Estate Investors. We have over 6,300 real estate investors in the community actively engaging every single day. You're going to learn all my top tips. You're going to get to network with other professionals and you're going to get to see all the past recordings and all the past posts in that Facebook group. So make sure you join today. It's going to be linked in the podcast below. And now back to the show. The reason why I like self-employed retirement accounts is because 
they take your normal 401k that you might have through a W-2 and they really put it on steroids, okay? They allow you to invest in what you want. You know, they allow you to pick your index funds versus if you if you have a 401k through work, uh, you're, you're subject to only being able to invest in their uh, index funds, right? When you have a 401k through W-2 work, the fees are astronomically high. I mean, I remember when I was at Deloitte and uh, my index fund, it was a 0.28 expense ratio in order to invest my money. Uh, 0.28 expense ratio. When I left Deloitte and I started investing my own money through Vanguard, it was a 0.04% expense ratio. So seven times less to invest my money on my own than it was to invest it with my employer. And so these self-employed retirement accounts are going to allow you to do that. Now, the most common self-employed retirement accounts are either going to be the, the SEP IRA, so SCP IRA or the solo 401k. Now the SEP IRA, you are limited to basically 25% of your earned compensation. So if you, uh, let's say you have a small business and you don't take a W-2, you know, you're going to be limited to, to contributing 25% of whatever you make. So if you made a hundred thousand dollars in your business, you're going to be able to invest about 25 K into that account. Now, if maybe you make a hundred K, but you pay yourself a 50 K W-2, then you're limited to only 25% of that W-2. Um, and the reason why the SEP IRA is a little bit more commonly used is because it's easier to administer. It's normally easier to set up, cheaper to set up, and you actually have until all the way until the tax deadline of your business return in order to contribute to that account. So we see people all the time where they, um, they don't get it in by the 31st, no problem. Like you have until the tax deadline in order to contribute to a SEP IRA. Now, one of the reasons why why I may not like the SEP IRA, I, I would say the first reason is that uh, you can't put as much money in, into it as a solo 401k that I'm going to talk about in a second here. The second reason I do not like the SEP IRA is because it's an IRA. And IRA accounts, you are uh, not able to borrow against IRA accounts. You can never borrow against an IRA, but you can borrow against a 401k. And that's kind of why I like the flexibility of a solo 401k because with a solo 401k, if you're, if you're a W-2 of your own company, you know, let's say I am doing an S corporation and I am doing the pass-through entity tax payment and I have a self-employed retirement account with my S corp, right? I'm nailing these three strategies that I'm just telling you about right here. If you're taking a W-2 from your, from your S corp, not only are you able to contribute the same $22,500 that all normal W-2 employees are able to con to contribute, but you're also able to get 25% of your W-2. So it allows you to put in way more money in a solo 401k than you can with your SEP IRA. Uh, and the solo 401k, like I said, if you use the right provider, the solo 401k, you're able to borrow against your 401k. So you, could, you can contribute to your solo 401k, get a nice tax deduction for it, and then the following year, turn around and just borrow against the 401k. Now, there are limits to borrowing against it. Um, typically, you're only able to take out uh, up to either $50,000 or 50% of your total account balance. So you would need 100K in there in order to take out 50K. If you only had 50K in there, you'd be able to take out 25,000, okay? But the solo 401k, it's a little bit more costly from a compliance perspective, but again, it offers you a lot more options. You can contribute more money to it 
and you can borrow against it eventually versus the, the IRA you can't. Okay. So those are the self-employed retirement accounts in a nutshell. Um, don't think that just because you invest money in the retirement account that it's stuck there forever. Uh, there's options to, you know, self-direct your retirement account. So maybe you contribute to your SEP IRA or your solo 401k, get really nice tax deductions, and then eventually you're, you self-direct the account. And then you use that to buy uh, other businesses or real estate or, I mean, crypto if you wanted to. But don't think that you're locked in there forever. The next strategy is something that I talked a little bit about earlier. I do have a podcast that's specifically related to this strategy. But it's going to involve uh, charitable giving with a taxable brokerage account. Okay, So a lot of people understand that if you give money to charity whether that's through cash or check or donations, like you, you get a tax deduction for that. And so I just want to keep it really simple. Let's say, let's say I'm a um, 24% federal bracket and I'm a 6% state bracket. So I'm in a 30% tax bracket. Okay. So if I contribute $10,000 a year to church or charity, I'm going to get a $3,000 tax deduction for contributing 10 K. So not, not bad. Right. But if I have a taxable brokerage account, which is what I talked to, which are, I have another podcast on this, by the way, but a taxable brokerage account is an account where uh, you invest in stocks, index funds, bonds, uh, get interest, income, dividends in your in your personal name. It's not a retirement account, but it's taxable brokerage account. Basically, just like if you have a Robin Hood or a TD Ameritrade, Vanguard, Charles Schwab, that money is going to grow over time. And what we like about the taxable brokerage account is that, hey guys, just want to interrupt the podcast to let you know that if you enjoy the podcast and the content that's in it, you would love my Tax Strategy Academy. This is going to give you the framework for developing all your tax plans for the entire year, whether you're a long-term rental, short-term rental investor. You're going to get a one-on-one call with me to map out your tax plan, and you're going to get access to weekly office hours where you can come and ask your personal questions. So if you're interested in learning more, go check out the link in the show notes below. And now back to the show. What we like about the taxable brokerage account is that all the earnings, as long as you hold on to it for at least a year, they're going to grow at what are called capital gains rates. So typically you're going to pay 15%. Most people pay 15% capital gains, uh, uh, capital gains tax on any capital gains. So if you have a brokerage account, let's say that you contributed $100,000 to it and now it's worth 200000 well, if you were to sell that, you would pay taxes on the 100K difference at 15%, right? So you'd pay 15 grand in taxes plus your state tax, 5%, let's say. You pay $20,000 in taxes. Now, what you're able to do when you combine the taxable brokerage account with the charitable giving is you are able to designate part of your brokerage account to charitable giving. So I'm able to take, let's say, $10,000 off the top of that 200K. Okay, so now my fair market value in my brokerage account is only 190, and I'm able to donate to that to the church or charity. They sell the stock, they get the cash. So what I'm doing is I'm lowering the fair market value of my brokerage account. So if I was to sell that brokerage account, I would be paying less in taxes. But I got a tax deduction equal to the same amount of money that I was going to give them cash or check anyway, and now I'm lowering my fair market value of my my brokerage account. The best part about this is you take that same $10,000 that you normally would have wrote uh, cash or check for and you replenish the brokerage account. So now you're adding 10 grand to your cost basis. So now, you're, now your cost basis is 110, your fair market value is 190. And if you sell that right away, instead of having to pay a capital gain on 100 grand, you'd only be paying a capital gain on 80 grand. So I like this strategy uh, as a long-term play. 
um, if you have a taxable brokerage account, which I, which I think everybody needs to have one, um, it's going to save you thousands of dollars every single year for the rest of your life. And eventually what happens is the fair market value of your taxable brokerage account is going to equal the cost basis of your brokerage account, which means if you were to sell that, you would walk away and pay nothing in taxes. And that's, that's part of, uh, liquidity issues. That's part of your overall strategic planning going into retirement is if you have a taxable brokerage account and it's the cost basis equals the fair market value, you can write yourself a check for however much money you need and not have to worry about taxes. The fifth and last strategy I would say is, um, it's, it's going to be related to taxes and lending, or it's going to be a capital asset that gets depreciated. And now what's the real difference? Well, a lot, oftentimes these aren't really different in terms of how much money you save in taxes, but how this shows up on your tax return means the whole world. Because if something shows up on your tax return as depreciation, why we like depreciation is most lenders, most conforming lenders are going to add back depreciation to your tax return. So I might make 10 grand in cash flow on my rental property, but I have $20,000 in depreciation. So I have a tax loss, so I don't have to pay taxes. But then the, the lender is going to say, well, that's not a true loss. We're going to add back your depreciation. They'll typically add back insurance, taxes, uh, mortgage interest, HOA fees, and depreciation. And so we like depreciation in the fact that the lender will add it back. But depreciation, remember, there's also depreciation recapture eventually down the road. Now, when you expense something, when you when you just write it off that year, you expense it, it doesn't get depreciated. You still get to take that tax deduction for it. But there's no depreciation recapture down the line. And But when, when something shows up uh, as a repair and maintenance expense or just repairs expense, you cannot add that back to your income. Okay, and that's the distinction that I want to make. And I just want to boil this down to if you need to scrap and claw and get every single dollar of income that you can to help you qualify for loans, you want to try to depreciate as much stuff as possible. If you're if you're a more seasoned investor and you already have a bunch of properties and debt to income shouldn't be an issue for you, you really want to try to expense and write off as much as you can that year because it's going to help you save money in taxes in the long run because you won't have as much depreciation recapture to pay. So that's going to kind of wrap up today's episode of the podcast. Like I said, five, five tax strategies I think most commonly missed in 2023. And if you you know have any questions about either of these, I've done separate podcasts on all of them. So feel free, feel free to reference those. And um, we'll see you guys in the next episode.